you know, Paul talks about be all things to all people that you might win some. And so I said, I want to feel like I can reach out to our female congregation. So my thought was to come with a skirt. She said to wear a scarf. So (laughs) wives are a good thing. (laughs) Hey, if you are a guest with us, we are actually thrilled that you are here. Um, We would love to be able to connect with you, maybe answer any questions you might have. Uh, After service, we've got a welcome center right out there in the lobby, Um, a chance to come out and just uh, uh, meet with us out there. Um, And uh, we've got some free gifts for you there as well as a uh, VIP cup of coffee. So just our way of saying thanks for coming. Here's a little caffeine to bless your Saturday afternoon. Um, we do want to give you one and very important announcement. Uh, if you've all heard, uh, as, as we're in the process of looking at our Lakewood campus launch, um, we have a very important business meeting coming up on that this Tuesday, September 27th at 7 o'clock p.m. It'll be right here, so Lone Tree Campus, right here in the sanctuary. Um, and uh, if you're interested in hearing more about that or would like to be a part of that process, we'd uh, welcome you to come in and uh, join us there. So uh, we got a great night, great weekend in store. Pastor Terry's about to throw it down for us, so I hope you guys are all prepared and ready. Um, we uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, pray for our offering. If you are new here, um, just a reminder, we don't pass a plate or a bucket or a hat or anything like that. The offering boxes are kind of mounted on the walls as you leave. And uh, we just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness. So, Father God, we just come before you tonight. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for the incredible things you are doing in this place. God, we lift up all of the men of God who are up at uh, Buena Vista Camp right now. God, we just pray that you would continue to move in their lives. God, we pray that there wouldn't just be a retreat high or a retreat change, but God, we pray for life change. God, we pray that when these men of God would come back, God, marriages would be different. God, that uh, uh, families would be different. That God, your Holy Spirit, that your presence, God, would move in families in a fresh new way. And God, we thank you. We thank you that we can ask that of you because God, you can do it. And God, we thank you for offering. We pray for, pray for a blessing over that and all who are able to give. And God, we just uh, thank you for Pastor Terry and what he's going to share with us tonight. God, we give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Well, listen, uh, I'm pretty excited about this message. I would like to say welcome to all of you here. I'd like to say welcome to those at Castle Rock and Highlands Ranch. And uh, we have folks that are going to listen to this live stream and podcast. Uh, I have some special watchers tonight. I have in North Carolina, my little grandkids watching. And so, uh, hey to you guys, uh, Ryder and Hudson and Kaya and Sayla. And they're a part of this message tonight, okay? The reason is, is imagination. How many of you have an imagination? How many of you wish you didn't have an imagination? (laughs) Okay, I have a crazy imagination. And so I'm going to ask you to use that tonight. I'm going to use a couple simple props. But you're going to make those props come to life in your mind. And how that works is that uh, when we take and see something in our mind... You could be in a group like this and everybody could see something a little different. And so I'm expecting God to take what you see and to apply it to your heart. Now, one of my favorite things as a father, when my children were young, and one of my crazy processes of imagination would be to tell them stories. And so as a father who wanted to teach my children God-valued kind of stories, I wasn't into the... uh, you know, the mother goose kind of stuff. I just really wanted to give them something original. And so I would tell my children woodsman stories. And the woodsman was a character kind of like a woodsman, a lumberjack kind of guy, Paul Bunyan kind of a character. And his friend was an Indian guy and his other friend was a sailor. This was back, you know, way back before, you know, this time that we live in now. And so uh, whenever I tell a story, I'd create in that story these God moments of teaching and instruction. And uh, it was really a neat thing because God would just literally help me tell a great story to my kids. And so in the story, at the point of conflict or crisis, the woodsman would know what to do because he was a man of God. So the woodsman would always pray. And if you ask my kids today what to do when you're in trouble, they know from that story, pray, pray. And his reading of the word, his continually prayer and connection with God would give him wisdom for any of the crises and trials that him and his buddies would come across. 
I had thought the woodsman had been long since retired. <laughs> and so one day, one of my kids, after they had children, said, Dad, why don't you tell the kids a woodsman story? And I was like, oh, man, I can't even remember anything. But it wasn't that hard. And we started to tell my grandkids woodsman stories. And so the neat thing about that is that if you want to get kids to go to bed on time without any hassle is to threaten them with something they really want. So our kids would, grandkids would go to bed because I would say, okay, if you're in bed and ready when they spend the night, I'll tell you a woodsman story up the stairs. That made me feel really good. So uh, about a week ago, um, a couple weeks ago, my son from Alabama came with his family to visit. We had a great time. And one of our oldest grandsons, Jackson, and, uh, uh, was there. And so he wanted a woodsman story. So every night we had a woodsman story. Now here's why all this relates to imagination. It was interesting one day they decided to draw the woodsman. I'd never thought of that. And so I was kind of curious what they saw the woodsman looking like. So they draw their pictures of the woodsman and the Indian and the sailor. And it was really interesting to see how they captured the essence of the characters that we had told stories of for years. And I was quite surprised. As a matter of fact, he said, now I picture the woodsman as having a plaid shirt. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, that's lumberjack. That works. You know, I don't know if you saw those lumberjacks on, you know, the learning channel or whatever, but he, he knew the woodsman had a plaid shirt. The Indian had a loincloth and uh, Sailor Sam had a beard, but that's how they pictured him. So today in this service, I'm going to create an opportunity for you to see something. I'm going to use these props. And what I believe that in that imagination that you have, that God is going to bring you to a place of really seeing some very important truths tonight. I have to tell you, I am so struck with fear, not of man. I don't have any problem public speaking, standing in front of you. I'm not nervous. I'm nervous that I miss this great opportunity that you've given today to hear some truth because I want to get it on point. So I may stick with my notes, I may jump off of them, but the, I will always come back to what we believe in our hearts and as a teaching team, God wants to say. So our topic today is new life, all right? So I'm going to pull out one of my props, okay? All right, everybody see that? What is that? Okay, it's a glass, very nice glass, very heavy duty. I hope not to drop it and break it, but anyway, I want you to picture this glass as you. You're a container. You're brought into this world empty and you're going to fill this glass as you move through life. By the basis of your belief and choices, you're going to determine what fills this glass. Okay? And I'm going to give you some direction today in what that means as far as what options that we have. All right? And so as you're moving through life, you're going to make a choice in what goes into this glass. Now... In this first point, and if you'd like to follow in your notes, we're going to kind of go through there. But here's what I want you to do. This is your imagination. On the left side of your notes, there's a place that says notes. Y'all with me? Okay. I want you to draw a glass there. Just, you're going to draw some glasses, but draw one. About a third of the size of those notes. I just want you to draw a glass. Just draw it just like that. Okay? A little simple glass. All right. You get to be artist. You get to doodle. You have my permission. Engage in uh, your literary license today as you draw these or artistic license. Okay. In this glass, okay, I want to show you today there are people here. And everyone here this day will find yourself in one of these images. There are people this day I say without condemnation, I say without judgment, I say in love and in truth, there are people this day who will fill this cup with sin. It is the choice that you've made for your life. You have no life. Now don't get me wrong, you have breath, you go through life, you make choices, but basically you have filled this with choices that are yours based upon your desires based upon what you want. And the idea of life being from God represents a departure from what most people choose as sin. Now here's the truth. All of us here have been 
filling this cup at one time with our choices of sin, correct? How many of you are sinners? Okay. The Bible will say that we all are sinners. Okay. So I want you to see that this is okay. Now, in this cup, okay, in this glass, I thought, okay, imagination, what would you represent sin with? And my first thought was dirt. Because sin is dirt. It's dark and yucky. But I thought that's not really a good representation. And I thought long and I prayed and I, I would tell you I fasted, but I didn't do that. <laughs> I thought, what is a great image to fill this cup with that represents sin? Are you ready for some theology and some deep thought here? Here it is. Banana pudding. How many of you like banana pudding? I know Pastor John does. I've picked him up a glass full from time to time. Why banana pudding? That's really absurd. Well, I'll tell you why banana pudding. Banana pudding because how many of us like banana pudding? Especially when you're in a diet and you're really hungry for something sweet and tasty. How many of you like banana pudding? It's one of those great snacks that most everybody likes. I married a southern girl and her mother taught her how to make banana pudding. And it's good. And you know what? The truth is, sin appears to be very good, doesn't it? It is sweet. It is enticing. We have a curiosity for it. We have a desire for it. But if I left banana pudding in this cup over a period of time, what would happen? It would be moldy, black, yucky, dirty. That's what sin does. It always looks good. It always tastes good. And I'll be the first to tell you, it is really good in that first bite. But when it sets in your life, sin is death. That's good. And so many people, even in church today, are saying, why do I feel so dead inside when all of your life pursuits have been filling this cup with sin? That is not a judgment or a condemnation. It is an act of honest love. Because all of us here have been there, haven't we? And some of us don't have sin like that anymore because something's happened in our life. And we'll talk more about that today. There's no life of God in you. So filling it with sin leads you to this. Romans kind of gives us an idea there. It's on your notes. Those who live following their sinful selves think only about the things that their sinful self wants. But those who live following the Spirit are thinking about the things the Spirit wants them to do. If people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, there is death. But if their thinking is controlled by the Spirit, here it is, there is life and peace. We all have this temptation or temptation in our life. Somebody asked me this week, is it a sin to be tempted? The answer is no. We all are tempted. Jesus was tempted. It becomes a sin when you give in to that temptation and allow the sweetness of that to be the guiding factor of the choices of your life. So, what did God intend? He wanted every one of us to have a relationship with Him. He knows the outcome of old pudding. He knows that you are trying to fill your life with something that seems sweet, but it still ends up yucky. I have a special memory of a guy when we pastored in South Carolina. I'll call him Mr. C. He was a rough guy. He was a bodybuilder in his younger days. He was a bouncer at bars. He liked hitting people. He was mean. And along the way, he found this real nice girl and married her. They had some kids and moved to South Carolina. And his wife was invited to our church, and she came one day, and she found out that she had a lot of dirty, dark pudding in her life. And she said, I'd like that cleaned out. She made a decision to follow God. First, he wasn't really happy about it. He thought, it's just a passing phase. Just a religious thing she's going through. But she wasn't just going through something. She had a life change. So day after day, she'd come, be a part of their life as a wife. And just, she was different. And he saw that. And she kept inviting him to come to church. Mr. C, come to church with me. Ah, a bunch of religious people can't stand him. One day he came. And he left there thinking, oh, there's some religious people here, but overall this was a pretty good experience. 
And it would be weeks and he'd come again. And he started liking it. And he'd come again. Two years of him coming. One day at a service like this, the Lord had led our message to bring to a point of asking people, how many of you would like to have life through Jesus Christ? And as fast as his hand went up, the tears came down. Big guy, 6'5", about 350. But it touched my heart. And he was filled with life. And the sin was washed away. I can tell you this, and I say this because I have such great love for people like Mr. C, that if you're here today and you've been filling your cup with sin, and today you know you want to change, God has promised life. And it's a pretty amazing thing that happens with that, by the way. You know, sometimes people think, well, when I get Christ in me, I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to have a different personality. I'm an introvert now, and so when God changes my heart, I'm going to be an extrovert. God doesn't change your personality. He changes some of the things you do. He changes some of your attitudes, but most of all, he changes your life. Not only here and now, but for eternity. It's a pretty good deal. And I love that. I love it forever. Okay? So here's what I want to say about this. Jesus loves us. He gave his life for us that we could be filled with life right now on this earth. We don't have to choose things that will rot in our heart, but we can choose life. You might be here today and on a spiritual quest, and you might be trying to find God. I, I hope that's true. Looking into every religious path, is this for me? Is this what God is all about? But this truth is one you need to consider. The only path to God isn't dependent on what you do, but what God has done. Think about that. I cannot tell you a better deal there is because it's dependent on what God has done that you can have life. Every religion in the world requires you to do something, to follow a set of rules, to earn it. But the Bible tells me that it is a free gift of God. Life is a free gift of God. All you do is take the offer and leave the life-giving process of filling you up with God's life. Can I tell you today, if you're here today and you are this cup, many of us have been there. We just made a decision one day to have life instead of death. And I encourage you with that. Springs of living water, the Bible describes, and if you've ever experienced that in your life, you know exactly what I'm saying, saying today and saying that. Now, that leads us then to another group of people. Some of you here today, all right, and actually that's the, note, the boxes on your notes, if you want to fill those in, the first was sin. The second one is law. Some of you fill your container of life with law, okay? And you can draw another cup and draw those pictures if you want. I would probably do that because I like to draw. Okay. Now, we are made to fill our glass with something. God designed us. There's an emptiness in our heart, in our life, that God intended us to fill it with something. So people fill it with sin. It's a good choice. They allow to have fun, enjoy life. But some people say, no, I don't want to live that kind of life. I want religion. I want to fill my life with religion. I love that. You might have been raised in a certain way or you might have come across the truth at some point that made sense to you. A truth that appeals to your way of thinking. And so you have said, I'm going to fill my life with religion. Anybody here ever been a religious person? You can struggle with that, but the fact is, is that it's easy to get there and to do that. So, okay, what's going to represent religion? I know I blew you away with banana pudding, so I'm going to tone it down here. Okay. Stone. Pieces of stone. Why? Because it's kind of in a way my craziness in the sense of Jesus wrote on stone tablets. And the people took that law and they relied on that law and not on God. So stone, that's what religion does. Okay? Now, religion means different thing. That word to different people. Okay? So in this idea of stone representing the law... A lot of people in church today feel good because they follow all the rules. Some are rule followers. 
and they depend and rely on that to be what fills their container. And it's a dangerous place because they're going through life thinking, I've got it figured out. I've got all these stones and rocks figured out. I've got all the rules figured out and I'm going. And yet, if they're really honest, they're going to say, this is a little bit of a heavy load. This is getting hard to be a religious person. All these rules are just adding up. And I don't feel I got the strength or the ability to carry it anymore. And I find that happens to a lot of church people. It's a dangerous place. See, a sinner knows he's without God, but a religious person, by doing all the right things, they have all the bases covered. So in the law, Corinthians tells us, in ourselves, we're not able to claim anything for ourselves. The power to do what we do comes from God. He has given us the power to serve under a new covenant. The covenant is not based on the written law of Moses. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The written law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Stones are impressive. Here in Colorado, we went climbing with my grandkids. We went to Garden of the Gods and all sorts of neat rock formations and beautiful stones in their gift shop, all sorts of great gems. And let me just tell you a secret, though. Do you know that rocks are dead? <laughs> Seriously, there is no life to a stone. None whatsoever. And we build these lives built around beautiful stone structures, and it's still dead. And we're struggling with the fact of, hey, I'm trying to get it right. I'm doing all the things, but I just feel dead inside. So what do you do? Well, what most people do is they rearrange their rocks. You get what I'm saying? My temple here didn't look right, so let me just shuffle. That looks better. And for a while, it's appeasing. But in the end, when you look at those, you're still under the umbrella of dead rocks. And there's no life in it. The Bible says that our rocks, we fill our glasses with, listen to this, religious people, we fill our lives with a form of godliness, but there's no power. And if you're here today, and you feel no power in your life, and you feel stuck in a rut, I want you to think about is that religion ruling your life or is the spirit ruling your life? See, even in Christianity, all right, if you take some time to read this, and it just occurred to me as I'm studying this message, if you read the letters the apostles wrote to the church, many points of their letters were to help Christians not slide back into all the rules. So we as Christians even face this temptation to rely on something that is earthly structural, there's something strong about a rock and a stone. And there's a comfort and a familiarity. And we like to get on that because we feel we're on solid ground. But we're really not. Because there's still no life. What does life look like? Well, let me take you back to South Carolina. We, uh, we were uh, invited to go pastor the church there. And uh, I didn't want to go. It, it, was a, it was a losing proposition in my mind. They didn't have that many people there. The church had just kind of declined and they were just defeated and depressed. And uh, I was in a great church and it was growing and good things were happening. And we were having a lot of enjoyment in our ministry. And so they asked us to go preach at this church one weekend because nobody else wanted to go preach in this network of churches I was a part of. So um, they lured me with the promise of, uh, you know, a, a night's away with my wife in Applebee's. <laughs> You know, it's sad, but it doesn't take much. <clears throat> so um, it ends up my son comes home from college and Brenda says, you're on your own. So I go and Holiday Inn Express and Applebee's by myself. So I'm, I'm really bummed out. And so then I drive that Sunday morning. This is Saturday night. I drive to this church. It was an old uh, little wooden clubhouse in the neighborhood that they had built. And uh, this is the truth. They told me a guy had come by one time said, you know, I built this thing. And I was kind of curious why he'd tell me. He said, you know, we didn't use a level on any part of this building. <laughs> and I'm telling you the truth. It was really wacky. And it was a mess. A uh, little room and all that. And when we went in, it was the most wretched looking little church I've ever been in. Shag carpet from the 70s. It, I think the color was gold, but it was so stained I couldn't tell for sure. Uh, it had those metal Samsonite chairs, that the kind you use when you paint your house and you get leave paint and all that. Half of them were bent. You know, and so these people come in, they just looked like, man, they were hanging on for the end of the world. 
So I preached this probably uninspiring message. And so, because <clears throat> uh, I was totally depressed. I got to tell you, I, I wasn't that inspired myself. <clears throat> I didn't want them to really like me. I didn't really care. I got my Applebee's and I'm out the door. So I'm, I'm, I'm speaking and this woman comes up later. And uh, I found out she's from California, so I thought she's a little nutty. And uh, if you guys are from California, I'm not meaning all Californians are nutty, but I thought this one was. Because she said to me, she said, you know, you need to come here and be our pastor. Now, I didn't think she was demon-possessed or anything like that. But I thought she was just missing it. I thought, you know, she had just had too much of that California stuff. And so uh, I couldn't get that out of my mind. So we went back and eventually, uh, make this short, the Lord did lead us to come. And our most faithful, most encouraging attender was this woman. Problem is, her husband didn't want to come to church either. See, he has a Catholic background. And Catholics don't go to churches with ugly shag carpet. That's just against the rules. <laughs> I'm quite sure that's there somewhere. I haven't read it, but I'm quite sure. And you had to have a little more of an ornate building, so I think this, religiously he wasn't going to come. So one day she invites him, he finally comes. Now, I want to make a point here, and I'm not being mean in making this point, but I want you, I want you to understand where my wiring is. See, I'm a, I am an imaginative person. I am a creative person. I am an experienced person, okay? I can go into party and just tell you within two minutes if this thing's happening or dead. And it's all about the experience. It's all about the work people put into making that party a good party. Matter of fact, when I came here, one of the first messages I preached was about the idea of experience. Every now and then we get people criticizing us because we do a lot of stuff that's both visually interesting or experiential. Okay? I understand that. Religious people have that mindset. Church has to be stone and dead. Okay? You can't have color. You can't have life. Now, I'm not being mean to anyone. I'm just saying this. The biggest criticism we get is from religious people saying, you have a Volkswagen bus on your stage, you're going to hell. And I said, well, if it's in that bus, we're going to take a right turn and go to where there's life and party with Jesus. I was thinking that. I didn't say that. Now, I'm not on the soapbox here. I want you to know that this woman brought her husband, and he walked in, and church wasn't what he thought church would be. We had a very creative team and a very great experience. He walked away thinking, these people are pretty good. I like what they're doing here. I didn't come back right away. It took him a while. Again, several years, several years. And one day, this religious died in a wool Catholic. said, there's something empty in my religion, and I want life. And God changed his heart. Now, those are my experiences as a pastor. And there's many, as a youth pastor, been over the years, and you've probably seen many, many stories similar. All of our pastors here probably have experienced that. I know Pastor John as, as well. They form our idea of thinking. What I want to say is this. I was raised in the church. I love the church. I am, a, I am a religious person. I am speaking to people like me. I grew up with my rules, and I liked my rules, and I didn't break the rules. And it was easy for me to judge sinners because I wasn't a sinner in my mind. But I was dead. And every now and then, God would kind of wake me up and say, Hey, I got something better than your religion. I got some life for you. And I would experience God, and it kept me going. It kept me going until one day, from my heart, I said, wait a minute. There's nothing wrong inherently with these rules, but if they're based on some application to my life, that it's a program of a nature or uh, something to that, then I'm missing it because there should be life in that. And if you're here today and you're religious, if you're going through it, and maybe you have made a commitment to follow God, but you're hung up on religious stuff, you're hung up on judging others because they don't fit your rules. I want to encourage you. There is no life in that. There is so much that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, who were the best, most religious people of the day. And he described them as people who were whitewashed tombs. They painted the outside of the tomb, but on the inside there was death. And religion will do that. Please think about where you're going if you're a religious person. So what's the life thing? The Bible describes it. Let's go to the next big point. New life. Your notes, I put an exclamation point. I won't spend a lot of time here because this has been a theme of this church for the last year. Somehow, inherently, in every series, this comes out. I had a moment that God just kind of shook me up. 
We were talking about this series, actually the last series, and the idea, and Marcus actually used it in a video, or in the video that he did, and he used an illustration of that. And I want to I go back to that just for a moment, because it's easy to miss the power and the impact of that. New life is about being filled with God, overflowing. Religion is about getting a little bit of God, keeping away from the really bad stuff, going to church, doing the church stuff, but new life, overcoming life is a totally different experience. I can tell you, I long for that. I desire that. So we're at our teaching team one morning and John was describing an experience he had. And, and, and I'm telling you, I have told him this, what God is doing in his life, having the proximity of being closer to him and knowing these things and hearing his heart, what God is doing there. And how God is pouring into him and how this overflow is touching area of, area of his life. And we're sitting there talking about overflow. And I kind of zoned out at that point. I started thinking, what did that mean? Because, see, I got the religion thing figured out. I've been that all my life. All right? I'm not really a sinful person, per se. I don't pursue sin. But I was thinking, do I have really this life that we're talking about? The overcoming life. And as Marcus illustrated, if you take that cup and you fill it, and you leave it where God is pouring, what happens? It overflows. And here's the thing. If you stay with God, wherever you go, that overflow is going to be happening. Yeah. I grew up with this. Let me show you something here. Some of you will relate to this. I grew up with this mindset. Okay, we actually used to sing a song. Fill my cup, Lord. Anybody remember that one? I lift it up, Lord. I forget the rest of it. You don't want me to sing it. <laughs> but the idea was, Lord, fill me up that I may be poured out in this world. Okay, watch this. What happens when I'm poured out? I'm empty. And that is what happened in my life. I would get God filling me up with joy and his life and his presence. And I would just live life and pour it out and leak. <coughs> Excuse me. But I'd end up empty. And for all of my spiritual walk with Christ, I couldn't figure out. Because the Bible describes what I'm talking about in these terms. Abundant life, overflowing life, filled with his spirit, unspeakable joy. And I would be empty thinking something's wrong with me. Something's missing here. Why am I not experiencing that what I read? I read of the New Testament church and the amazing things that were happening in our life. I said, every now and then I get a taste of that and I pour out, but then I'm empty again. And I think a lot of people in church experience that. There are a lot of great followers of Christ here today. And they just don't get why they can experience God on a grand scale. And then weeks later, just be so empty and wondering, man, where is God? Where is God? You know, it's not on my notes, but I want to tell you something. I think it's apropos here. We use this term desert as empty, but that's not what the desert is. Listen to me. The desert is where the heat is. Jesus talked about being in the desert, but was he just not filled with the Spirit? Didn't he walk in that temptation that Satan gave him and able to say no to sin because he was filled with the Spirit? The desert isn't being in a place where you're filled, not filled with the Spirit. The desert is being in a place where the heat is on. And when you're feeling the heat, sometimes you feel like God is not there. But if you're in that flow of God and he's overflowing in your life, you will be able to do what Jesus did in the desert and overcome sin and temptation. And then he was thrust into the Pharisee realm and he was able to defend the life of God in those moments. So I don't know where you're at. Thank you. I got off track. Is that okay? I think we restrict the flow of God. Let me tell you how that happens. I put my hand over this. It's like, I think I know what God should be doing here. So I'm going to say no to what God is doing, and I'm going to kind of do my own thing. And a little of God leaks into my life, but it's just not enough for that overflowing life. Here's what I'm saying. I want... I pray, I desire with all my heart that I would live a life that is overflowing. And if you're here today, I can help you and help you understand how that can happen in your life. Um, you know what? I, this is kind of, I'm, I'm going to get on the edge here. I'm, I'm going to scare some of you. 
We used to have a term in our church that described this experience. It was called revival. Anybody remember that? Okay, now, I heard a guy that pastor the other day, he criticized, he said, we used to schedule our revivals, implying that God would only move when God moved, that we couldn't just dictate when God would move. But let me tell you what happened in our revivals. God moved. We scheduled them. Okay, I don't know, Chris, if you remember, but uh, we would have evangelists come in who really were just anointed with God to preach people about the life of God. And literally for two, three weeks, we would be coming to church every night, worshiping, singing, honoring God, and being just filled with His Spirit. And it was an amazing experience, I got to tell you. It's one of those things that, wow, this is what I think a little bit of heaven's going to be like. Then we go back to living life our way. And what I've learned and believe with all my heart is that we don't have to do that. We can live in this spirit of revival. Now, what happens in revival? Okay. People come to know God and they come to know God because of life. Can I tell you what? People don't want your religion. They can find some pretty good religions out there. There's some pretty crazy religions they can find, but it's still all death. They want to see God in your life. And if you and I are honest here today, we would say, is God really overflowing and evident in our life? And if not, why? Okay, so I'm going to give a few things and I'm going to go some specific directions and wrap this up. For me, the morning with Pastor John, and he gave this illustration of what's happening in his life with the overflow. I got in my car and I started driving down 470 and I started weeping. And I said, God, I want your overflow, I want revival. And every day, I've been waking up in the morning praying, God, I want overflow life. And I began to sing an old hymn that years ago was sung in the church. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. And in the early morning, just before getting even out of bed, I am praying, God, I want that. I want that for me. I want that for you. I want that because God has said we can have that. Why would we settle for anything less? Seriously. Are you okay with religion? Is that giving you life? Are you okay with sin? Is that satisfying? Are you okay with getting close to God? Is that what you want? No, I want overflowing. So why? Why? I had asked this question. I said to myself, why would people... People here would ask, why? Why should I have an overflowing life? That's a fair question. Begin to think about the answer. Number one, why I want an overflowing life is I want to bring glory to God. Because my religion, my sin, my half attempt at religious life is never going to bring glory to God. I want to bring glory to God. The second, I want the power of God in my life. We've seen and heard of healings in our church recently. I want that happening. I want people to be so filled with the Spirit of God that it overflows wherever they go. And it changes lives. Like at Wild Wings. Or Wing, what's the name of that wing place? That that lady? Buffalo Wild Wild Wings. Okay, that's close. You need to talk to Ben about an amazing miracle, what happened there. Amazing miracle. And last, I want the power in my life. I said that right. The glory of God, life overflowing, the power in my life. And the reason is this, the impact of our lives that are overflowing on this thirsty world is huge. Your family, your friends who have found themselves weighed down with sin or religion are looking for life. Have they found it in you? Have they found it in you? I am convicted by that question. So, okay, I got one final point. What about the in-between life? Okay, because I relate to this. This is what I was describing earlier. The idea of the in-between life. What does that look like? Okay? You struggle with giving it all to God. You want to hold on to some pudding, and you want it to say sweet, and yet you want God's life too. You like the firmness of your religion and your rocks and your stones, so you want to hang on a little of that too. Because when you follow God, people, it is risky. It is scary. He stretches you. He wants you to have faith. He wants you to experience supernatural. And it's scary to go that direction. But that's what He wants for you. You can't have both. God is holy. He won't let you. And he loves you too much to let you. So there's two places. They're in your last two boxes under uh, 
in between life. The first one is conflicted. Listen to this. In Galatians, the Bible says the sinful nature does not want what the spirit delights in. And the spirit doesn't want what the sinful nature delights in. The two are at war with each other. That's what makes you do what you don't want to do. As long as you live on this earth, folks, you're going to have to decide, do I want sin or do I want the spirit-filled life? You get to choose that. And it is at war. And because that war is going on, it doesn't mean you love God less. It just means the enemy's working to destroy you. Accept that fact. But every day, you still get to make that choice. Do I want life or do I want death? And then there's those that I want to call confused. And I mean this with great love. Listen to this. Romans says this. With my whole heart, I agree that, with the law of God. But in every part of me, I discover something fighting against my mind. It makes me a prisoner of that sin that controls everything I do. What a miserable person I am. Who will res rescue me from this body that is doomed to die? Thank God Jesus Christ will rescue me. Okay? Let me give you something real quick and I want to close. Here's what I want you to understand. Our church... Many of our people in our church have been in abusive relationships as a child. And when you take an abused child and you put them, say, in an adoptive home, what happens? Are they instantly fixed? No. What happens is this. All of the stuff, all of the patterning, all of the beliefs, all of the doubts, all of the struggles they have come into that home. And it's they don't have the identity of that new family. We have many great families here that have adopted or do foster child care. And they understand this. You bring that child in and you begin to love them and you begin to teach them a new identity. Before it was abuse, before it was evil, before it had a lot of stuff going on. But they began to change in time. Here's my point. I think a lot of people don't know their identity in Christ. I think they don't understand who they are in Christ and whose child you are. The Bible says we are adopted sons and daughters of God. And you being that child have a whole new right, have a whole new understanding. And I encourage you to pursue that. And as long as you live in both of those worlds of an evil adopted, uh, 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 evil world before adoption and a world of adoption, you're going to get hung up on that. And I think it's very important to realize that. So how do you get there? How do you get filled with that? How does that happen? I'm going to give you one thing. The Bible tells us this. Jesus tells us, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again. But no one who drinks the water I give will ever be thirsty again. The water I give is like a flowing fountain that gives eternal life. I want that. I want that. I want that. So the answer is thirst. You may say, Oh, Terry, I'm thirsty. And I've said that many times in my whole life. It's the right thing that Christian people say is I'm thirsty. But until deep in my heart, I had this longing like a person in a desert for water. It's that kind of thirst. God says he will fill you. And the two things are going to reveal that thirst. Number one, desire. We can talk here all we want about an overflowing life. We can say, oh, Terry, I want to raise my hand. I want to say I want overflowing life. That's what I want. But I'm going to tell you until you really want it, it isn't going to happen. And there's the last thing I want to say about this. The idea of we need to deconnect, disconnect. What does that mean? Our world, okay, I had this thought. I want to tell you, it is the pull of this world and the push of Satan that keeps us from an overflowing life. And our world keeps us. And we are so busy living life that we don't disconnect from it long enough to just spend time with God. This series, Pastor John, started with life or death. We've talked about in the last few weeks the idea of the word of life, the life in uh, prayer. And that's where it's going to happen, but you've got to make a choice. So I've chosen to take time and to really disconnect and to just desire God. And there are things happening in my heart that hadn't happened for a long time. And I believe that's true. Now, can I tell you one more thing? Okay, I want you to pray that God creates in you a thirst. And then I want you to give him time to fill that glass. Too much distraction. Give God time. One last challenge. I have a message, and I will tell you, I will stand believing this is from God as sure as I breathe air. And it's a special message to close this today. God put this challenge on my heart. Pastor John has been moved in the last year to approach our young men and women. We're going to call them Joshua Generation. 
He did a class for several months. Many of you, some of you are a part of that. Out of that, many young men and women have stepped up to really fight the fight of good. And they've been a part of things happening in this church. I'll tell you a lot of stories there, but I don't have the time. So I want to finish with this. I love that. I love that about our church. I think young men and women ought to be challenged. And I was praying about new life. The Lord just gave me a picture and an image that just really, in a sense, broke my heart. There's a generation that God still wants to use. I'm going to call you the Caleb generation. Listen to this story in Joshua 14. Caleb comes to Joshua. You remember what the Lord said when he was speaking to the prophet Moses about you and me? Remember, Caleb and Joshua were were the ones that believed that God could take Canaan. The others did not believe. He was one of two that believed it. And he says, I fully believe the Lord would allow us to take the land. So that day, Moses promised me, Caleb's speaking, the land where you want will become your land and your children will own it forever. I will give you that land because you fully believed in the Lord my God. Now then, Caleb is saying, the Lord has kept his promise. Get this. He has kept me alive for 45 years from the time he said this to Moses. During the time we all wandered in the desert. Now, here I am, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses sent me out. And I am just as ready to fight now as I was then. There's people here. And I'm going to call you the Caleb generation. I don't want to put an age. But it's older people, people my age and older, who have settled in. You're comfortable. You're familiar. And God wants to use you. And God wants to change your life. And God wants to give you new life. I think this. You have a great contribution to the kingdom of God, and it's very important to God. I believe God wants... To know that you being older isn't a time to chill or to retire, but to keep fighting. So today I give a message for you. You are not retired in God's plan. Your life and impact will continue to be great. You will have new life to offer. And I don't know how that plays in your heart and mind, but if you're a Caleb generation here today, here's what I want you to finish with. Numbers. Early on, this promise of God that Joshua and Caleb were referring to. Listen to this. There's something here. So not one of them will see the land I promised to their ancestors. No one who has rejected me will see that land. But my servant Caleb thinks differently and follows me completely. So I will bring him into the land he has already seen, and his children will own that land. Here's three things I want you to walk away with, Caleb people. You think differently. Our world today looks at people who are older as just not important They look at you as a marketing tool. They look at you as a money tool. They look at you as a retired person. They look at you as ineffective. They look at you as not important. There's something in my heart saying today that you of Caleb's generation are going to be a part of the forefront of God's revival he brings to our country. And there are things he wants you to do, but you have to rise up like Caleb and think differently. You can't say, I did my time in church, I taught my class, I was a deacon, I did it. You have to start thinking differently and said, wait a minute, I can still pick up a sword and fight this battle for the kingdom of God. Second, he follows me completely. The people that I know God is speaking to today will be people saying, I am going to be filled up and I'm going to overflow. And that overflow is going to impact my church. Listen, that overflow is going to impact people. And the last thing is this, this is huge. I am struck with this because I'm of that Caleb generation. Here it is. God will bring you to that land and it will impact the children. We have our own children. We have children of our church, children of our community. And what's missing today is men and women of God who just gave up and not be filled with life overflowing. I want that for you. Would you please stand? We have an opportunity to respond to God today. I wish I could be that amazing communicator our pastors. I wish. But I'm just going to lay it out there just plain and simple. You might be here and you're ready 
The sin of this world has just left you empty. I want you to say, Terry, I want new life. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Those are here, here today that have just got settled into your religion and that you've depended upon that. It's kind of been your rock. But you're hungry. You're thirsting for something more. And you want that overcoming life. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to ask, and I mean this with all my heart, you are the Caleb generation. You're older. For whatever reason, you've settled in, you've quit the fight, you've just lived life, you feel it's due. But I appeal to you today by the authority of Jesus Christ that you are valuable to his kingdom. And I want to challenge you to be one of those like Caleb that will rise up and still fight the fight. So if you're older here, I want you to respond. I want you to say, Pastor Terry, I'm going to start praying and thinking differently. And I want to be a part of what God wants to do. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you so much. Let me pray for you. And then we're going to worship. Father God, all we want here is an overflowing life. And the only way that comes is through you. For those that have raised their hand, said they're ready to end this process of just filling and choosing sin. I pray today, like my friend, Mr. C, who raised his hand and it literally changed his life and he felt God's life flowing. I pray that happens to everyone who responded that way. For many of us who have been religious people, depending upon our rules and all of our religious indoctrination, we pray, God, that you would just bury that like a stone and let life come to these. And finally, Lord, I pray for the new Caleb generation that will be a part of Jubilee. I pray, God, that beginning this very night, they begin to get on their knees and their face before you and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? How can I serve you? How can these days of my life be as productive as my early days? Not just fading out into the woodwork. I pray, God, that something very powerful begins to happen in our Caleb generation. And I pray that we partner with this Joshua generation. I pray that mentors and men and women of God who can help them and grow them and encourage them be a part. I pray they step up to serve in ministry and not expect other people to just do the work. I pray, God, that every day they wake up with the joy of the Lord filling their hearts yes. because, again, they've come alive in you. Yes. I pray that in Jesus' name. Would you worship the Lord? You have chances to respond with communion, the crosses. Maybe the Lord spoke to you and you want to put a note on that cross. Please do that. <clears throat> but more than anything, I want to challenge you to worship today. Enter in and worship God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.